It's good to see you this morning. Um, was it last week that it snowed? It did, didn't it? Or last Sunday morning. Boy, it wasn't a mess if you showed up here. Those of you who were brave, um, last Sunday when I got here at 6 a.m., it was not hardly anything. And then by the time first service started, we had like four inches. And second service, it was really fun. So uh, glad to see the uh, warmer weather. And then this morning, we have the time change, which means everybody... I wonder how many... Some people that think if they're coming to first service are going to be showing up at second service. I'm always kind of interested in that uh, when the time changes as well. And uh, we got that going on as well. So um, we're in a series called Famous Last Words, as I've shared a few weeks ago when we began the series. Uh, it's, it's, it's really a series about the last words that Jesus talked to his uh, uh, closest inner circle, his disciples, uh, right before he went to the cross. And so we've been looking at John chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16. We're actually in chapter 15 today. So if you have your Bible, your Android, your iPad, or whatever it is you use to look at Scripture on, uh, you can turn to chapter 15 of John. We're going to hang out there for the next couple of weeks to this week and next week with two totally different uh, topics uh, there. Today we're going to be looking at uh, which, uh, which I've called uh, the key to living the Christian life. Don't you love uh, uh, titles like that, the key to this? You know, watch commercials and it's uh, the one thing you have to have to have life fulfilled or something like that. You know, uh, there's a lot of things that are prom- make big promises. But uh, this is really, in a sense, uh, one of the very key things that Jesus talks to us about, talks to his disciples about the key to living the kind of satisfying, significant life that he wants us to have. And, he, and there's a word he uses for a satisfying, significant life. It's the word fruitful. The word fruitful. He says the satisfying, significant life that he wants us to live is a fruitful life. And Jesus is going to be talking about in these 11 verses something we've probably heard of before if you've read Scripture, but sometimes they're a little confusing, and I want, hopefully can make it uh, less confusing today. Jesus showed us the, li- the way to live the fruitful life is something which he calls to abide in him, to abide in him. And so we're going to be looking at what that has to say today. So as we look at this, we're just going straight through verses 1 through 11. And then uh, next week, we'll look at the last part of chapter 15. Because if, if um, and probably none of you had this problem before, but if you've ever had anybody who didn't like you and criticized you, uh, so if, if you've ever had that problem before or you don't anticipate that in the future, don't show up next week. But uh, next week we'll be talking about what Jesus has to say about how to deal with people who are uh, really people who criticize you, people who, who put you down. And so we'll be looking at that in the last part of chapter 15 next week. Uh, today, though, we're going to start with chapter 15, verse 1. And Jesus said this, he says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Now this is the last of, and we haven't studied the whole book of John and the series we have before, but the book of, uh, the, the gospel of John, there is seven I am statements that Jesus, is, Jesus makes. This is the last of the seven I am statements. He says things like, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the gate, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then the last one is this kind of strange one we come to today. He says, I am the vine. And you're going like, man, that's kind of a strange thing. I understand some of these others, but what's the deal to be the vine? Um, it's interesting, and when he talked to the audience and when he was talking to his disciples, they understood this very uh, clearly because if you look back in the Old Testament, what you'll see is that Israel is often compared to a vine, but not in a good way. <laughs> uh, it's kind of like uh, it's compared to a vine that's gone wild. It's not like girls that's gone wild, but it's a vine that's gone wild. Uh, and, uh, and so, and for instance, it says in uh, Psalm 80, it says, you were brought, brought out of Egypt uh, as we were a vine, as if we were a vine. You forced other, out other nations and planted us in the land. 
And then in uh, Jeremiah 2, it says, But I planted you as a special vine, as a very good seed. How then did you turn into a wild vine that grows bad fruit? And then in Hosea 10, it says, How prosperous Israel is, a luxurious vine, uh, all filled with fruit. But the more wealth I give her, the more she pours it on the altars of her heathen gods. So Jesus is coming, talking to his guys, and he uses this imagery of a vine, uh, of, of a vine that's, uh, uh, and he, Jesus says, I am the true vine. I'm not like this vine you sometimes if you've misunderstood. And then he says, not only am I the vine, but he says that we as Christians, as followers, he's talking to his disciples, which is really all of us who follow Christ. Uh, he says, you're the branches. Uh, if I'm the vine, you're the branches. And if you want to have a sense of fulfillment and satisfaction in the Christian life, what he's saying to us, what does it take? Jesus says, I don't want you to leave you empty about it. I want, to, want you to know. And so he gives us in the next few verses the, the understanding of what it means to be a, a follower of Christ and how to have that key to living the Christian life. So let me give you three things this morning uh, that he says we need to remember every day. Jesus talks about. The first thing he talks about is this. He says, he says as he's already said, we need to understand ourselves that I am a branch. You're a branch, okay, if you're a follower of Christ. You're not the vine, and you're not the gardener. You're a branch. God is the gardener. Um, it's interesting that we, we're compared to a vineyard. It, there's this thing here. I had to look up some stuff. I don't know anything about vineyards. Any of you know anything about vineyards? Anybody ever grow grapes before? Yeah, we have tons of vintners here. Okay, uh, zero. Okay, so you're just as clueless as I am, okay? But the cool thing is, is we have Google uh, now, and we can look up anything we want to and find all kind of information about it. And I was, as I was looking at it, I found out some things about being a person who grows, uh, grows grapes. I found out it's one of the most tedious and time, um, uh, uh, takes so much time to grow grapes because of so, how much it has to be done to the vines. It's not just something like, you know, for me, uh, a few years ago when, uh, uh, I don't know how many years ago, three years ago, whatever, when some folks in our church decided to grow a community garden here. And they were going to grow a community garden, take the vegetables, and they were going to take it and, and take them to food pantries and things like that. And they're still doing that. They said something, Pastor Bill, don't you want to be a part of that? No. I said, if you want everything to die out there, just go ahead and get me involved. Because I'm the kind of gardener that uh, when my wife goes away, she will in a few weeks to go visit our, our kids and grandkids uh, during spring break. Uh, I'm going to be ha at house. And she'll call me every day and she'll remind me to water the plants. Because I would just, when she came back, if it was up to me and me alone, they would all die, okay? Because I'm the kind of person that likes plastic plants or silk plants or something like that because there's no maintenance involved. So I would not be a very good vent a vintner, somebody who grows grapes. And so, because I was interested, it takes more constant care in a vineyard and more hard work than any other agriculture. But it, it says here that God is the gardener, though. God is the one who gives that care. God's the one who tends our lives. God is the one who's the gardener. And, uh, and then it says, secondly, that Jesus is the vine. God is the gardener, but Jesus is the vine. He says, I'm the vine. Uh, to us today, he's saying, you can't find life anywhere else besides me. Uh, many, many of us sometimes have tried to find our source of life in things other than Jesus Christ. We still struggle with that in many ways in our lives, but trying to pull back and do our own thing. And when we do that, what do you do? You find that life is not satisfying. It's not, it's not fulfilling. Uh, it may be fulfilling for a short period of time, but Jesus says, I'm the vine. If you're attached to me, I'm the source of life. I'm going to do what, for you what no one else can do. I'm the only place to find life. Then he says, I am a branch. He says that me, you, me and your branches, that means what? 
Does branches grow very well detached from the vine? Doesn't work, does it? You know, doesn't work. If branches don't, got to stay attached to the vine. It means you've got to be under the constant care of the gardener. I've got to be dependent on the vine. But it also means that's where growth happens. When you're attached to the vine, the source of nutrients, the source of life in a real sense, he said, that's when you will grow. That's when you'll have this fruitful life that Jesus describes as a life where we abide in Christ. That's who I am. That's who God made me to be. And that's interesting because, and I was reading, like I said, I was reading, and I, I actually printed it off some things about vineyards. It says this, uh, and we're going to look at this in just a moment here. This whole thing about how, what you got to do to care for, for, uh, for uh, uh, the vine. I thought, like you say, you know, I, I've drive, driven, you were driven by near Miracle Camp, and there's a bunch of, those have been up there, there's a bunch of vineyards up there. I didn't know they grew grapes in Michigan. I thought it was only California. But uh, they do a lot of stuff up there. You know, so you drive by and look at all these beautiful things, you're like, oh, that's really cool. That's, that doesn't probably take much work. You just kind of get them growing up there, and they kind of do their thing. And Well, I found that's not true because, because it takes something called pruning. Pruning. And if you don't prune the vines... And I'm going to tell you in a moment what's involved in pruning, pruning because I read it on Google, so it has to be true. Um, uh, it, then then you, don't, you misunderstand the, the whole process. The second thing that Jesus says to us, he says in a sense, he says, yeah, I'm divine. He says, I'm divine. God's the gardener. We're the branches. And then he says this. He says, I will be pruned, talking to you and to me. If we are in Christ, there is going to be a pruning process. And when I read this, I didn't know anything about vineyards. I didn't know anything about growing grapes, but I read about it. Because it says in John 15, too, it says, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now, what's the fruit he's talking about? Well, the fruit he's talking about is basically says Jesus is saying is being like Jesus Christ. He said, when you're not like me, when you're not producing any fruit in your life, he says, I'm going to do something in your life. I'm going to prune you. Now, this is what it says about pruning grapes, okay? This is to kind of give the, the visual picture. It says, in addition to support, pruning grapes is a vital part of their overall health. <clears throat> Regular pruning is essential for controlling grape canes, whatever, I guess that's the, the vine, and producing quality fruit yields. And I'll, I'll highlighted some things. It says, when it comes to pruning grapes, the most common mistake people make is not pruning hard enough. Light pruning doesn't promote adequate fruiting, whereas heavy pruning pr provides the greatest quality of grapes. And then it says this, knowing how to prune grapes can make the difference between a good crop and a bad one. When pruning grapes, you want to cut off as much of the old wood as possible. This will encourage the growth of new wood, which is where the fruit is produced. Now, I was reading that sometimes they actually cut back as much as 80% of the, of the things off the vines because every year they have to do that so new stuff will grow out. I found this out a couple of years ago, a few years ago. We bought a, a couple of shrubs, um, shrubberies. Um, every time I hear that, I think of Monty Python. But anyway, uh, the, only those who know that movie will understand what I was talking about. But, um, but uh, uh, I bought some stuff outside and, and a couple of shrubs for the house. And most of the ones I have are things you just cut a little bit, you know, trim off the tops, whatever. Well, this one, this, this thing just grew like crazy, you know, during the years. This thing is on the corner of my house and grows like crazy. And, and I thought the next year, you know, next year didn't do much. It just kept growing, but they didn't produce any any flowers like it's supposed to and all this kind of thing. And I come to find out that I went back to the guy I bought it from. And I said, what's the deal? He said, you got to cut it back almost to the ground. Almost like roses, almost to the ground. And you, then it grows back. And guess what happened that, after I did that in the fall? The next summer, it grew as big as it did before. This time it had flowers and had all kinds. It's the fruit of the, of the, of the shrub. 
And the thing is, is that's what it's saying here. Jesus is saying to us, he says, you know, if you're, I'm the vine, you're the branches, you're grafted in me, that one of the things to help you to grow is that I'm going to, you're going to be pruned. I'm going to be pruned. He, he says that's important. And we have to understand the whole process of what that means for us in our life because we don't like pruning. Most of us just want to kind of like me, like growing flowers, just have some plastic ones that look pretty cool, but really doesn't do anything. Because the purpose of pruning is what? The purpose of pruning is bearing fruit. So two or three things about understanding pruning. Pruning is unavoidably necessary for fruit. Just like it is in roses, just like it is in shrubs, just like especially how it is in grapes. To qualify for pruning, guess what? I have to be bearing fruit to qualify for pruning. <coughs> and the reason for pruning is so I can bear more fruit. I found out that I was talking to one of the guys up at Miracle Camp that grows grapes, and he said, yeah, he said, every year, man, it's just like lots and lots. It's very labor-intensive. I have to cut them off. Because if, if I let them go, after a while, it wouldn't bear hardly any fruit whatsoever. And he says, only the vines that in what I cut off is, is the things that aren't bearing fruit. Because I know once they've not bared fruit anymore, then what's going to happen is, is they won't produce anything new. So I cut it way back. That's why they cut so much back. It's all about the fruit, the fruit of Christ's likeness in my life. And, and vines need drastic pruning. Just like grapevines, us as vines, need, uh, uh, branches need drastic pruning for God to work in our lives. And the Father has only one criteria for the pruning. Only one criteria. How can I get the most fruit out of this branch? So think of yourself as the branch. What does God want to do in your life? He wants you to be more and more and more like Christ. And the only way he can do that is to prune us from time to time, according to what Jesus says here. He says, if we're going to abide in him, if we're, which means to become more and more like Christ, he has to do pruning in our life. And God, see, God is not nearly so interested in what you, have, what you and I have accomplished so far as he is in what will become because of him. He's focused on the future. Now, another thing about pruning, now think about this. Now, I don't know, plants, I don't, you know, don't have feelings, I'm sure. You know, some might, people might think the plants have feelings. But just put yourself in the part of a plant that's being pruned, okay? You're being cut off, you know, parts of you are being snipped and cut off. Do you think it's very comfortable for the plant? No, pruning hurts. Sometimes pruning causes pain. It's humbling for us to be pruned. It hurts because from the perspective of the branch, because you and I are, are branches, the branch on that grapevine has spent all year stretching itself out, growing, doing things. And God comes along and he wants to prune you and me. And what does he do? We're going like, well, God, look at, look at what I've been doing for you. And God said, that's great, but I want to do even more in you. I want you to grow even more in Christ's likeness. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to cut back some of the things. Now, in verse, 5, in verse uh, 3, he begins to talk about what he does. He really doesn't give us a lot of indications about how the, how the tools he uses for pruning. But he says this in verse 3. He says, you're already clean, pruned. And that word clean is actually the same word as pruned. Uh, because of the word I have spoken to you. You know that one of, the, one of the things that Jesus is saying here to us, he's saying one of the tools that God uses to prune us is his word. And how he does that is that he, we, we read his word, we're convicted in our heart, and we say, I need to change my life. 
And then he begins to cut things out of our life through his word. Now, he uses some other tools as well. Some other tools I've seen, and it's not mentioned here in Scripture, but throughout Scripture is he uses our daily circumstances, things that happen to us every day. He uses major struggles in our life to prune us. He uses relationships, usually bad relationships, to prune us. Now, let me ask you, on that list of God's word is a pruning tool, major struggles, bad relationships, and everyday circumstances that aren't like what we want. Which of those would you like God to use the most to prune us? Well, let's see. Let's take off the major struggles. We don't want God to do any of that in our life, but sometimes he does use those. He don't, we don't want bad circumstances, and we definitely don't want bad relationships. So the only thing that it leaves is God's word. So what does that mean to us? If we're to abide in Christ, and God's going to use his word to prune us. What does it mean? It means that we have to stay in his word. We don't just read his word so we can have better knowledge. We read his word so we can apply it to our lives and he can change us and help us to be who he wants us to be. That's why in James it says, don't be just simply hearers of the word, but doers of the word. So that's one of the things God uses is is his word. And then he goes on a little bit further. Not only does he say, excuse me, does he say that uh, I will be pruned, but he also says this. He says, I must, if I'm going to live this life, the satisfying life that God wants me to live, if I'm going to live this key to living the Christian life, I must abide in Christ. I must abide in Christ. I'm a branch, I will be pruned, and so I must abide in Christ. Uh, John 15, 4. He says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself and must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in in me. The word abide appears 11 times in the first 11 verses here. Um, Four times in verse 4. When you hear a word used constantly, what does it usually mean? Come on, you got... Come on, what does it mean? Come on, you can respond today. This This is not Sunday school or anything, but you can respond. When you hear a word, when you use the word over and over with your kids... What do you usually mean by why do you use that word? Because it's important and you want them to do it. I mean, how many times have you said the same thing to your kid? Like kids like 50 times and they still don't get it. Well, Jesus is saying here, he's saying to us, he's saying, hey, abide in me, abide in me. He says it 11 times in 11 verses. Obviously, it's the most important thing here he's saying to us. And so, uh, now, a dictionary definition of abide is this, to stay at a place where you are or to remain. That's, not, that's a great definition from the dictionary, but that's not what it's talking about here. Let me give you a personal definition of what Jesus is talking about when he says this throughout 11 times, abide in him. He says, when Jesus said, I want you to abide in me, what he's saying is this. He's saying, I want you to stay 100% attached to me. I want you to, uh, some people make the word abide very complicated, but Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branch. Abide, stay attached to me. The only way, the only way you can grow is to stay attached to him. I mean, how long can a branch live not attached to the vine? Not none at all. Not a moment. The branch needs the vine all the time. So the imagery that Jesus uses here is incredibly simple once we begin to understand it. God's the gardener. Jesus is the vine, we're the branch. 
And if you're not attached to the, the, to the vine, the branch is not attached to the vine, it it's just won't last very long. And then he says in the next verse, verse 5, he says this, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I thought he just said that. Yeah, he did. So why does he say it again? Because he's saying it, he wants to make it as clear as possible. You cannot, listen, you cannot bear fruit, the kind of fruit that he wants us to bear in our lives, unless you remain in Christ. You will bear fruit, though, and you'll have a fruitful life, a meaningful life, if you remain in Christ, stay attached to the vine. And then he says, apart from me, you can do what? You're going like, well, that's kind of harsh. Does that mean I'm useless? No. It means that if, uh, for me to grow in Christ, to become what he wants me to do, the only way I can do that is not try to do it in my own power because I know how many, we won't do this this morning. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But, you know, I mean, I'll just tell you my own story. I mean, when I am close to God, stay attached to him, stay in his word, do all those things, guess what happens? I grow. But when I go through periods of, of, and I do this too, I go through periods of dry times when I'm not as attached to God as I should be, I'm not in his word, I'm not li really listening for what he has to say, those are the times when I don't grow, I don't produce any fruit. So he says this, if I do not remain in Christ, I'm like a useless branch, that's what he's saying. And then he says the next verse, which this is a verse which everybody gets uptight about. Because of what it says. They misinterpret what it says. Verse 6. It says, if you do not remain in me, abide in me, do not remain in me, stay attached to me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. Why do you think people get up, uptight about that verse? Because they think of something. When you think of something being burned, and it's talked about in Scripture, where are you thinking about it going? To hell. Yeah, it's okay, and you say it. I mean, it's, it's what we, that's what we think. Is that what he's talking about here, though? No, that's not what he's talking about here. He's not saying you'll be cast into hell and burn if you don't produce fruit in your life. That's not what it says. He's saying this. He's saying you're kind of like a, a useless branch. You know what? When, what I do with all those, those things, I cut off my, um, my shrub. Do I use them anymore? No. They're useless. And so I usually start a fire and I throw them on the fire and they burn up because they're useless. They don't, they're not good for anything anymore. He's saying you're kind of like that. He said when you're not attached to God, even though you might be a follower of God and you're staying far away from him, uh, he says you're like a useless branch that's cast. You're, you're like branches on the vine that when they're cut off, they're not good for anything. They're not good for anything. They might as well just be burned up because they're not good for anything. It's the same picture he gives us. When Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, he said this, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its salty taste, uh, it cannot be made salty again. It is good for nothing except to be thrown out and walked on. Is he saying that, you know, that we should be thrown out and walked on? No. What he's saying, he's just giving this picture, he's saying if you're a believer and you're not abiding in Christ, letting his salt and his light come through you, you're useless to the world, and you're not really living the life that God meant for you to live. That's what he's talking about here. You know, the, and the question comes to me, why should God even just leave us here, you know? If we're going to be useless. We're not going to be living a fulfilled life, we're not going to be living a satisfying life, and we're not going to be doing anything for God. 
If we're not abiding in him, if we're not living for him, by attached to the vine. That's how important this is. That's what Jesus says this several times about this abiding, this being attached. The key to living the satisfying Christian life is to abide in Christ, to stay 100% attached to him. That's the key. And then he gives the last few verses, verses 7 through 11, he gives us three examples of, of what happens when we abide in him. This is good news. Okay, the first part was bad news. You know, well, it's not really bad news. It's really a key, you know. But the good news is this. He said, this is some things that will happen when you attach yourself to Jesus and you stay close to him and you allow him to be the source of your nutrition and your nutrients in your life. The first thing he says is this. He says it in verse 7 and 8. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is, my father's, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Basically, he's saying this. His words abide in you. When you abide in him, his words abide in you. It's a reciprocal relationship. As Jesus said, you know, when we let his words abide in you, his promises to us become a part of our life. Something exciting happens. The result is when you begin to ask whatever you wish, because you're abiding in Christ, you're attuned to who he is in a real sense, it's done. Prayers and promises are always linked together in Scripture. When you and I get a hold of what the promises of God are in his word, when we're linked to him and we, we, we understand him, what happens is, our prayers are inevitably answered. Not selfish prayers, not, not those type of prayers, but I'm talking about the prayers where we're so linked to God we, we, we're looking and we want what God wants. And our prayers reflect that. You know, so often we pray all kinds of prayers and we just never think about God really answering them, do we? How do you know if God answers your prayer? Can you remember stuff you prayed 10 years ago? But maybe take 10 years to answer how many of you have that kind of memory? I don't. One of the tools that I use to remind myself of, of what, what I've prayed for to God about and what God's done in my life is I journal. Not every day, but I journal fairly, fairly consistently. Journaling is taking a, a cheap notebook. You don't have to buy any special journal. And just writing down maybe a scripture that you've read and something that God has brought to mind. And then actually what I do is I write down from time to time prayers the things that I'm praying to God about. And you know the amazing thing? That, then I go back, and sometimes years, I've been doing this recently, go back several years. I went back to 2007 last week and was looking at what I'd prayed back in 2007, and I was amazed how often. 2007 was, was a very connected year for me with God, okay? I, spent, I had a really good quiet time. I had really consistent uh, uh, time with God. I, was, I don't know why, you know, it just happened to be. And so I went back and looked at what God had, how he'd answered those prayers over those years. Not exactly every time the way I'd want to, but he'd answered so many of those prayers. And, and sometimes we just have to be reminded, reminded that God, when we abide in him and we stay connected to him, his words, his words will abide in you. The second thing it says in verses 9 and 10, it says this, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. And if you keep my commands, then you will be, remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. He's saying this, in a sense, the second thing that happens when we abide in him is you abide in his love. You live in the center of his love. 
Now, how do I abide in his love? He says, I want to give you a picture of how to do that. He says, I obey Jesus. He's saying this here. I want you to understand that how that you do this is that you obey Jesus the way Jesus obeyed God. Now, what does that mean? It means this. Jesus didn't just say obey. He said here, here's a picture of how you obey. Obey me the way I obey God. Not your idea of obedience because it might, you know, some of us obey God because we're all legalistic. We're going like, well, if I, if I obey God, God's going to love me more. No. The reality is that God loves you as much today and tomorrow as he will ever love you. And the reason we are obedient to God is not because we're trying to get something from God. The reason we're obeying God, the reason that Jesus obeyed God was because he had this relationship of trust. And Jesus obeyed God because he knew God always knew what was best, and he knew that God would always do what was right. And Jesus obeyed God because of his love for him. It was a response to love. And Jesus said, if you want to abide in my love, this is how you do it. You look at the way I did what God asked me to do, study it, and then you do the same thing. The more you do that, the more you'll stay 100% attached to me. Your motives will be right. Your, your direction of your life will be filled with God's love through Jesus Christ. So that's the second thing he says. He says, hey, you know, if you abide in me, you remain in me, stay attached to me, you'll abide in my love. And that means that uh, you'll have God's love that not only abides in you. Guess what happens when you abide in God's love? How do you begin to love others? The, not the way we normally love. You give me this, I'll give you that. It's the way God loves. We'll have the heart of God. And then the third thing he says, the third thing he says here in verse 11, last verse we're going to look at today, is this. He says, I've told you this. So he said, I've told you all these things about abiding and doing all these things so that my joy, Jesus says, so that my joy may be where? In you. And that your joy may be complete. Basically, he says, I want my joy to abide in you. Now, what's the big deal about his joy abiding in us? This is huge. This is not how we normally have joy. Because what was about to happen to Jesus Christ when he was teaching these teachings? The next day, what was about to happen? He was going to go before trials, and be, and be beaten, and then he was going to be nailed to a cross. Now, he knew the outcome eventually was going to be good, but to get there, <laughs> there was a lot of bad stuff. Jesus knew what was going to happen. He knew he was going to cross the next day. He knew he was going to die a painful death. He knew there was going to be physical torture. He knew the emotional torture. He knew the spiritual torture he was going to face. Yet on that night, before he was going to go to the cross, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, I want my joy to be in your life because I'm living a joyous life. And you're going like, he's sick. No. Because he's talking about joy that comes from an inner peace. With God, it's not about externals. It's kind of like, I love in Hebrews 12 too, it says this, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, now listen to this, but for the joy set before him did what? Went to Disney World? No, endured 
the cross, scorning its shame and set down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's the joy that Jesus was looking forward to, the joy of knowing that it was in the center of God's will. Not that everything was going to be perfect or just everything was going to be wonderful, but in a sense, in the long, long run, everything would be fine because he knew who he belonged to and who he was connected to. See, in the, in the world that, where many people are lacking joy and a lot are faking joy, what we need is real joy, I believe. I was reading something the other day. Um, a few years ago, this girl named Lisa Lester broke the Guinness World Book record for smiling. I didn't know they had a record for that, you know? You're like, how hard could that be, you know? Smiling. Y'all want to, you know, somebody want to break that record? Well, what she did, the previous record had been seven hours and 32 minutes straight of straight smiling. She broke the record by smiling for 10 hours and five minutes straight. Now, I don't know if you, just try to smile for a while. You know, it hurts. You know, I'm, I'm cheerleaders, I mean, you're just amazing people. Anybody that's a cheerleader, you can go out in a football game and smile for two hours in the rain. But, I mean, this is a girl that did it for 10 hours. 10 hours. I'm going like, crazy. But that's a smile plastered on her face. That is, for many of us, that's what we think joy is. And joy is not that, right? Genuine joy is in the heart. Genuine joy is there sometimes when tears are streaming down your face. Genuine joy has to do with security that I have in Jesus Christ, that no matter what happens, you're safe in God's love. The one who knows us best loves us most. See, Jesus had a joy which could endure a cross. And he had a joy that could face and still be faithful when faced with a cross. And he said, I want you to have that kind of joy. Joy that overcomes Anything you're going to go through. Wouldn't you like to have that kind of joy in your life? I know I would. Because some days we just think that, you know, we just think we don't have any joy. He says, I've told you these things that my joy may be in you and your joy may be made complete. The question is, for I think for many of us as we conclude today, is this. Am I going to settle for an incomplete joy in my life? A joy just attached to things. A joy just attached to circumstances, a joy that just comes and goes. Jesus said, I don't want you to have that kind of a joy. What I want you to have, uh, I want you to have my kind of joy, complete joy. Have you ever noticed how long your joy lasts when it relates to stuff, uh, relates to what you put your joy in? For instance, I was talking to a guy in my small group yesterday. Uh, he and his family are going to Disney World today. Okay, they're going to be in Disney World this afternoon. I'm going like, that's cool, man. That's great. And they'll be happy not joyful. They'll be happy. Wow. How long? As long as there's at Disney World, probably. If you notice when you leave after you go to a really cool place on vacation, when you leave, you're going like, that was, you know, sometimes it don't even last till you leave. Sometimes, you know, if the kids are kind of messed up, it doesn't even last that long. But um, you notice that, are you noticed if, you know, some of you really love to eat. Anybody here like to eat? Anybody here? Even, I mean, you sometimes, and when I mention this, the first thing that comes to your mind, some of you, you're already thinking about what you're going to eat for lunch today. Or what you'd like to eat. You know, like some of you like really like sweets, you know, like chocolate cake or donuts. I mean, I used to, I used to have a church in Virginia I was at was two blocks from a Krispy Kreme. And let me tell you, there's nothing more tempting to me than when it, the light comes on at Krispy Kreme. They're hot and fresh. And the wind is blowing the right way down the street. You can smell it. You know, I mean, it's like tempting. I'm going like, 
But you know, I mean, I don't know if you ever had a box of Krispy Kremes right off the assembly line. We don't have Krispy Kremes right here. Right off the assembly line, you could eat a whole box by yourself in one second because it's like, it's, like, it's like air. And then it explodes in your stomach and you're going like, I'm going to die. Why did I eat the whole thing? And you think you're having all this joy while you're eating the box. And why did I do that? Joy doesn't last too long because it's not joy, it's happiness. You can put your joy in all kinds of things. You know, I mean, some people think that drugs give them joy, and the joy lasts as long as the high does. But Jesus is saying here, if you make Jesus Christ your source of joy, if you stay connected with him, abiding in him, your joy lasts as long as Jesus lasts. How long is that? Forever. So, do you want to live a satisfying significant life that's the question that verses 1 through 11 talk about if you do the key is to abide in jesus christ to stay 100 percent attached to him because he's the vine the source of life and we're a branch and apart from him we can do nothing let's pray God, I thank you this morning for this opportunity of, of coming and sharing your word. I pray that today as we look, go from this place that we will stay attached to you, God, because that will bring us, that'll help us to have the kind of satisfying life that, we, uh, that we, you want us to have, a life that's filled with, full, with real joy, not just this fake joy that so often we, we talk about and think about. There's nothing wrong with being happy, but at the same time, we know that it doesn't last if it's not something deep in our heart, where it's satisfying and we know that we're safe for all of eternity with you, God. I would pray this morning as we close and sing a song together and go our separate ways, that this would not just be a time together this morning, God, where we just look at your word and we sing some songs, we go home and it means nothing. But we would take and, and, and ask ourselves today and tomorrow and every day, God, Am I abiding in you? Am I 100% attached to you? Because that's the key. That's the key to living the life that's fully satisfying and filled with real joy. Thank you, God, for your word and, and how simple, really, this word is today. It's not too deep that even the smallest child couldn't understand it. To help us not to only understand it, God, but also to live it in our life as well. Guide us this week that everything we do and say would be things that would honor and please you, even when we're going through the tough times of the week, when people criticize us or give us a hard time or we're going through some struggle in life, that we can know, God, that in the midst of that struggle, we can still have joy and peace because of being attached to you and living 100% attached to you, God. That every time we come to a struggle and every time we have a joy that we turn to you, God, we thank you for the joys and we, and we turn to you for guidance and help in the struggle. Help us to live like Jesus lived. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.